Hello and welcome back to the latest edition of Puncher's Chance with Pinnacle, the podcast that covers boxing betting from every angle. I'm your host, Chris McCarthy, and as usual, I'm joined by the ever-insightful Tom Craze to run the rule over the latest big fight odds available at Pinnacle, as well as being joined by a man who is no stranger to a ringside seat of the big fights. Nowadays, even scoring a few himself. It's Andy Clark. Uh, how are you both? Good. Good, thanks. Thanks for the invite. Good, thanks, Chris. Nice one, guys. Now, um, I don't think there's no surprises for where we're going to start uh, on what is the first podcast of 2022. Um, after more than a decade of waiting for it, um, Amir Khan and Kel Brooks grudge matches just days away, which I still can't believe I'm actually saying, but um, it is happening. It is gonna, it is gonna go down on Saturday night. Um, both fighters now 35 years of age, uh, meeting at a catch weight of 149 pounds. Um, it's likely about that. I mean, it will probably bring down the curtain on the rivalry for certain, and potentially the career of one. I suppose if not both. Um, Andy, I'll start with you. Um, before we go into the odds and betting markets and the fight at Pinnacle. I'm interested to kind of get your general views on how you think the fight will kind of play out. Are you are you a fan of it at this stage and how you do see it unfolding and the keys to victory for both men here? I'm definitely a fan of it. I know that there's a strong argument to be made that it would have been better if we'd seen it probably in 2015 or 2016. And at that point, it definitely would have had more global significance. It probably would have been for a world title. Whoever won it, even if it wasn't, would have been certain to fight for a world title, it really would have meant something on, on the world stage. It doesn't really anymore, but personally, I, I, I don't care. The fact that it's taken this long to make, in some ways, as the fights got closer, I've begun to think that it's better because this is a rivalry that's festered for a long time and people talk about fights marinating and, and maturing and all the rest of it. This hasn't done that. It's festered like some big rancid boil. And because the loathing between these two is mutual and it's real and it makes it very difficult to predict with any certainty what's going to happen. There's a number of factors why it's hard to to work out what's going to happen here. Number one is because they both seem to be kind of equally faded. You don't know what they've got left. Kel hasn't boxed since late 2020. Ame hasn't boxed since summer 2019. And when you get past 30 into your mid thirties, as they both are, like you said, when you've been out of the ring for that long, it doesn't matter how good your training camp has been. You don't know what's left um, when it comes to fight night. You just don't. I've seen fights where people have, have, have reached down into the well thinking I can go there one more time and there's just been nothing left. Nothing. And you get fighters who they lose the ability to pull the trigger. You know, And you look at these two and, and the, the worry for Brooke is that he'll have lost the ability to pull the trigger because he's always had great timing. The danger for Amir is that his his feet and his legs just won't be there to the extent that he, that he needs them to be. Those fast hands still will be. I'm pretty sure about that. And then when you add in the fact that this is very personal, equally that makes it difficult to predict what will happen because hearts will rule heads 100%. Um, I don't think it really matters particularly, or it may not matter what game plans they've, they've devised uh, in the build-up to this because you saw the press conference. The press conference today was... It was old school stuff. You know, a lot of the time it's, it can be a bit rehearsed. And yeah, they said some things to say, they said some things today that it would have been better if they hadn't said them. But you had the feeling there that what you're witnessing is kind of like a playground argument between two kids who hate each other. They don't care who's watching 
They don't care what anyone thinks who's watching. They don't care about the cameras. They don't care about the viewing audience. It's like you're kind of eavesdropping on a personal conversation and the families get involved and the trainers get involved. You know, it was, it was, it was kind of, it was old fashioned sort of stuff. As for the keys to victory, if Amir Khan were capable now of doing what he could at his peak, then the way to beat Kell Brook is to get in and out, use those quick combinations, keep him turning, keep him moving. That's how you would beat him. But he can't do that anymore. You know, I've heard someone say that during the week, that that would be the way to do it. And I agree, but he can't do that anymore. I certainly can't do that anymore. The fight against Samuel Vargas, we saw him hold his feet just that split second longer than he used to. And I remember coming away from that just thinking, he's on the side. And, and, and that's fine. I've got no problem with them being on the side. That's what happens when you get past 30, particularly if you're a, an explosive fighter. So he can't do that anymore. So I think the way he beats Kell Brook is if he manages to stop him in the first four or five rounds, whilst he's still got that full battery. If he can't do that, and that could happen because Brook's punch resistant isn't as good as it used to be. But if he can't do that uh, and Brook gets through those first four or five, then I think it's a matter of time before he gets to him. And so long as he's still got that timing, good enough before Brook gets to him and, uh, and knocks him out. Uh, to be to be brutally honest about it. And if I had to pick, and I've gone to and fro with this like every day almost for the last month, if I had to pick, I would say, I would say Brooke, TKO, KO, round seven is what I would go for, but seven to nine probably. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, the people that I've kind of spoke to um, and seen like the, con- the consensus online is that it's almost like a reflection of what the odds actually are. Um I go to I go to you, Tom, uh, as our odds odds man. The um, Pinnacle have got Hellbrook installed as the betting favourite, roughly around about at the minute around about one point six. Uh, Amir Khan priced at two point four zero, um, so very kind of close in the odds. Um, I kind of get the consensus here that it's that it's factored in a little bit with kind of power over over Khan being long in the tooth, but then his Brook long in the tooth. There's so many different variables that can happen. I mean, um, I was watching the gloves are off in the week and saw some, some kind of some alarming signs almost from Brook. Um, it was almost as if Khan's in his head, almost like rent free, as they've been saying. Um, one thing that did worry me with it a little bit on there was the amount of times he reverted back to actually kind of saying to Khan how the fight should have been, should have been made many years ago. Um, and that was, I wouldn't say a worrying sign, but it kind of meant in his head that he's a little bit nervous himself, that he might be a bit long in the tooth. Um, I mean, what's your kind of take on this? And obviously with the odds sitting where they are, um, I mean, I'm sure you can talk for a couple of hours over this, but where do you see the kind of value sitting in this fight? Yeah, so I think, I mean, looking at the odds, roughly you're talking 60, 40, Ish fight the bookies reckon in favour of Brook. Um, I was doing a bit of digging earlier, and obviously this price, this uh, fight has been priced up countless times over the past half decade. Um, back in 2015, when this fight was being rumoured for Wembley Stadium, if you remember that, that was when it was going to be the biggest one. You know, a kind of a, a Frotch Groves two type scale fight. Um, Khan was the favourite, kind of four to nine, two to five favourite, and so. Over the years, you've had the, the kind of the odds and the form lines intertwine and reverse, and we kind of up, kind of ended up here. And 
at a point where nobody really knows, I don't think what's going to happen. I think any or at several different times in the past, you would I, certainly I would have picked more confidently a winner than I can now. But I think it's one of those fights that you, you heard Andy there talking about the the brick stoppage is perhaps the most likely or probable outcome. Delighted he said that because I wrote an article earlier that said calm decision maybe the one to go. But I I literally I think the one outcome that would maybe surprise me would be a brook decision. Um, but like, I think the the really intriguing thing with this fight is that they're both so vulnerable. You know, everyone talks about Khan and his chin, um, four of his five defeats by stoppage, but all of Brooks' defeats have come by stoppage and admittedly against very, very good fighters, but they can both be hurt. And I think with that extra, um, that extra wear and tear, those extra miles on the clock, you'd have to be a brave man to go into this with any kind of conviction and say, this is my brave or stupid or potentially biased or, you know, but how anyone can really, really pick a winner here and and back it with with real certainty is, um, yeah, I think that's quite a stretch. I think there's a few interesting prices though. Um, I think if you look at um, Khan's defeats, they're generally coming by, Round six uh, against Crawford, uh, six against Garcia. I think it was Canelo. Obviously, you know, a little bit later, um, Brook in rounds one to six. I think will be a very popular pick. Um, and you're looking at about um, one second, about four to one um, for Brook to win in the first half of the fight. So the great thing about watching Khan, as we know, is that every one of his fights is is kind of basically him walking the the tightrope, isn't it? And you know that anything can happen at any given time. And that's why he's been such a great servant to the, to the sport. Um, if Brooke can catch him early, he'll go. I think we, we know that. Um, Brooke by stoppages can get a lot of, a lot of support this weekend. Um, you're talking about just over two, uh, six to four. So 2.6 ish. Um, that Brooke stops Khan at any point during the 12. And the, um, that one I was talking about earlier, the Khan decision, if, and it's a massive if, um, if he, he's got the legs and if he can just kind of stay out of range and, and, and do that in and out for maybe one last kind of hurrah, uh, I think that may be a little bit overpriced as well. It's nearly four to one. Um, and as you're saying that, I'm talking myself into it because I, I, I yeah, said to myself yeah. five minutes ago that, oh, we can't do that anymore. And, I, and I'm, I'm fairly convinced that he can't, but at the same time, Maybe he can do it against Kell Brook. Maybe yeah, he can because Kell Brook, as we say, you know, they're both kind of equally faded. And and as you're talking there, and that that's how this fight is, isn't it? This this just sums it up. I'm talking myself into actually, could he? Maybe he can because yeah. he's always got that blistering hand speed. He's still got good feet. They're just not as quick as they once were. Maybe he can. You know, this this the, the, no one's expecting that, are they? No one's expecting a decision, but no one thought that Wilder Fury, for example, would go anything like as deep as it did. And it did. You know, we're quite often made fools of, aren't we? It's, do you know what? It's a good point, Andy, as well, because I was thinking, I was talking to someone actually in the week about this, and I was saying that when an Amir Khan fight comes round, especially when he fights a noted puncher of any kind, the, the contentious is almost that, all you've got to literally do is tickle him on the chin and he's gone. And yeah, that has happened in the past and he has been knocked out concussively by some big hitters. But 
is there a case of like Brooke coming into this fight, do you think, thinking almost, and I've seen it happen before in past calm fights. I mean, I remember when um, he boxed Michael Gomez, I think it was well, years ago now, and Gomez kind of, I thought, summed him up quite brilliantly. It was, he's a world-class fighter with world-class vulnerabilities. Um, he's capable of kind of, you know, doing unbelievable things that other boxers can't, but he's also so vulnerable that it makes his fight so exciting. Um, so from a kind of spectacle point of view, which is great from a betting point of view, it's an absolute nightmare because you kind of don't particularly want to part with your money with someone who's, who could knock someone out in a round or who could get knocked out in a round. Um, do you think there's a little part in this where Brooke might be looking for the knockout a bit too much and kind of Khan can just, you know, kind of bristle his way through to a decision like Tom was saying? Yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, the more the more maybe there is because th- this idea of someone being chinny has always been an interesting one, I think. Because okay, Amir has been he has been stopped, he has been flattened a few times, but you, but you look at when it's happened against Bradis Prescott, he got caught cold by a big puncher, and Prescott was a well known big puncher, and he got flattened, but he did get up the first time, which was pretty incredible if you watch that back. He got flattened by Canelo, but he was giving away weight to Canelo and Canelo's Canelo. He got hit kind of on the ear by Danny Garcia, that which is perfectly legal, but that's that's what kind of scrambled him and took his balance away. That can, you know, that can happen. The stoppage against Crawford, he didn't cover himself in glory in that one. I'm very reluctant to use the Q word about, about any fighter, but it was strange, the conclusion to that. And Lamont Peterson was the other defeat, wasn't it? And, and that yeah. went the distance. And, and you think about that absolute war he had with Marcos Maidana. And is he really that chinny? You know, if you get hit really, really hard on the chin by a world-class puncher, you're done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. So you can make a strong argument that, that Kel Brook actually might be more susceptible, might be have less punch resistance now because, you know, the damage he picked up against Golovkin and and Errol Spence, that's worse maybe than than two single punch knockouts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's it's a great point as well because um, I've always seen Khan as more, I mean, I'm not by any means saying he isn't chinny. I think he's got an okay chin. Um, I think it's more kind of the positions he finds himself in that actually get him kind of knocked out. It's not so much that he's you know, got such a bad chin that every time someone hits him, he goes, because he's been in there with, like you say, Madonna's and people like that and survived that. So if you're generally a very, very chinny fighter, you don't kind of survive that that punishment. Um, I'm quite interested as well, because obviously the pair of them haven't fought for a while, calm a bit more so. Um, last fight was against Billy Dib, more so, almost like an exhibition, I suppose. Um, and then Brooke was boxing Croft, and I believe it's kind of probably a year and a half ago or something like that now. Um what do you two guys make of kind of, obviously we've got the comparison rib with Crawford, they both boxed them, Khan went six rounds, Brooke was stopped well, almost by a, by a jab um, inside four rounds, which some would say is extremely alarming. Um, what do you guys make of that? Because it's uh, obviously Crawford's, uh, you know, pound for pound, one of the best fighters in the world, arguably the best fighter in the world alongside Canelo. So no shame in obviously losing to Terence Crawford, but the way that Kelbrook lost that fight, to me, kind of, and he when he got hit, I mean, I've seen him in there with guys like Golovkin taking big punches, coming back and, you know, fighting his way through and kind of the grit was between his teeth. It almost seemed there as, as soon as he got hit, 
he was kind of, I wouldn't say he'd give up because it was a good shot, but it was almost as if he just didn't want to know and it, he was gone. I don't know whether that was because his punch resistance was overly spent or whether it was a case of he just kind of thought, hmm, I don't really, I'm not going to win this fight. A bit like Amir when he boxed him um, and thought, you know, I'll have, I'll have the, the kind of the way out here. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on it, Tom? I mean, what do you think of it? And, and what were the kind of, I mean, is Brooks punch resistance potentially gone? Is it, is it still there? Well, I mean, potentially, you know, obviously he's had those two um, eye injuries, both eye sockets shattered at various points by, first by Golovkin, then by, by Spence. Um, I, I did feel that you mentioned that both the, both the Crawford fights for Khan and um, Brooke, I, I just kind of felt that both of them went into those fights potentially with a little bit of resignation about it. And I think the way that Khan, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to use the uh, the keyword as Andy Pullet there, but I, I I think he knew, you know, he he was he lost. Can't the thing of Khan? He starts when he's when he's good. Khan starts very quick. Against Crawford, he lost pretty much. Every, he lost every second, every second of every round, and then just thought this isn't where I need to be. Um, Brooke, yeah, I think there's an element of he knows what it's like now to be really hurt with a very, very serious injury. And there's, there's always going to be, I think, instinctively as a human being, the kind of reluctance not to put yourself through that again, especially at the age um, he's had the payday there from, from Crawford. And I think that was a different kind of difficult environment for him as well, because I think I'm right in saying that was in the bubble, wasn't it? Over in, yeah. over in Vegas, very, very different from a packed O2 like it was against Golovkin, very, very different from, um, Bramble Lane against Errol Spence. I, I think he was maybe just a bit, kind of a bit of a, a fish out of water then. I knew, like he knew the game was up. Um, whether it's a, an issue, a kind of a, a deeper lying issue in terms of punch resistance, I don't know. I think one interesting kind of factor with this fight could be the weight. There's a lot of talk going around at the moment about whether Brook is going to boil down to 149. What's he going to look like if he does? Khan, I think, is obviously the more natural welter of the two at this point. But what happens if Brooke pushes himself too far? What happens if he decides, I'm not going to bother, I'm going to pay this um, penalty for, for being overweight and go in and just try and blast Khan? I'm not suggesting that's what he is going to do, but I think potentially, and we'll find out more of the way in of tomorrow, of course, but that could be a big, big factor here, um, depending on how they show up on the scale. Yeah, I think the weight the weight may well affect the odds dramatically in to, to a sense, or as dramatically as odds get affected at that late stage, because as Tom was just saying there, when you look at what happened against Crawford with with Brooke, that was back down at welterweight. And post Errol Spence, we were told he can't do it anymore. It's impossible. It weakens him too much. Obviously, in the build-up to Errol Spence, they said it was all fine and it was great. And then after that, he looked really good again. I, I thought he looked good against Rabchenko. Perfect fight for him, first one back. But that's four years ago. And they didn't look so good against Michael Zarafa. Didn't look great against Deluca. They were all at 154, although against Zarafa, he came in at 150, just to show at that point that he could still do 147. I think that was the point of that because talks were ongoing at that period, I think, about this fight. And they thought it might happen. And he remember talking to him after the way and and he said, yeah, I decided just to hit it straight in the middle just to show, look, I can... I could go either way. And then all of a sudden, a fight with Crawford rears its head. It's a lot of money. And then all, and then suddenly he can do 147 again. 
So we don't really know what the truth is regarding his ability to do the weight. Uh, was it the case in the past that he just did it wrong and that's why it was a problem or, or is he just too big for it? So he's got, he's got two more pounds obviously to play with, with, with one, four, nine. And again, he claims that camp has been brilliant and it's been a slow burn. He's taken his weight down bit by bit and all the rest of it. Um, it will just be very telling to see what he weighs on Friday, tomorrow lunchtime. I really hope that he's been able to, that he's been able to do 149 properly and that this kind of talk about him coming in heavy and just paying the fine is just that and a little bit of mind games to get into Amir's head because I don't want to see that. That for me would cheapen the fight. You sign on the dotted line at a contracted weight and the penalty is there to try and make sure that you don't miss it. You're getting paid a lot of money. And if you decide that, well, you know, I'm just going to miss it. I'll pay, I'll pay 400 grand or 500 grand. That for me would really, really take something away from this. You know, I really don't want to see that. That's absolutely what I don't want to see. But if he does do it, then all of a sudden, you know, we've got, we maybe got a, a bit of a different, different scenario on our hands. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there's so many fascinating kind of angles to the fight and stuff. And I know, Tom, you kind of touched on it as well, looking at kind of the betting markets um, from an angle of who wins, you know, maybe a mirror on points is obviously a very difficult fighter to win rounds off. There's always that he can kind of get into the ribbon. One thing that I've, um, and I know both you and Andy have both mentioned it already, is the case that one or one of these guys actually wins very early. Um <laughs> It's, I don't foresee this as out of the question. And when we're looking at kind of Amir Khan fights, um, I mean, I've followed his career since, you know, day dot, even from the amateurs. And he is a guy who starts, and you mentioned it, Tom, extremely fast. And I sometimes mean extremely fast. I mean, he's had Marcus Maidana on the floor inside a round. I mean, I still don't know how he survived that body shot. I mean, looking back on that, he potentially was seconds away from knocking Madonna out in one round. I mean, that's like, you know, an elite level performance. Um, possibly he had Peterson seconds. down early, didn't he? Peterson down early. I mean, not to the level, but he dropped Salita heavily inside in the first round. He recently dropped LaGreco inside a round. I'm not saying that the likes of LaGreco and Salita are the level of Akel Brook, but if, and it is a big if, Akel Brook's punch resistance is on the wane or even completely gone, um, which Khan seems to be thinking it might be, is there a case here that Khan is the one that comes out and steamrolls Brook early? Um, and kind yeah, of- I, th I, th I think there possibly is, yeah, because I I know they've worked really hard in camp and, and, and I should stop saying it really because what does it mean? We don't know. We weren't there. We, we've, 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 seen, we've seen what the cameras have seen and what Andy saw, Andy Scott. I was chatting, chatting to him the last couple of days and, and you know, Amir has always kept in pretty good shape and 147 isn't a problem. You know, it, it looks like he has to kind of eat his way up to 149 almost. Not that he's going to do that, but but he needs to make sure he eats enough calories to maintain weight. That's that's the position that, that he's in. But he will know himself and they do know, I think they do know when it gets to a certain stage of their career, what they've got in the locker to a certain extent and what they haven't. And if he feels that he hasn't got 12 rounds in and out firing off combinations in him, then he may well be thinking I've got four or five rounds here of the old Amir Khan. I can do that for four or five rounds. That's going to have to be enough. 
And it could be enough because he is a real crisp, sharp puncher. And if that punch resistance, like we say, of, of Kelbrook isn't quite where it used to be, then that could happen. That could happen because you don't have to knock somebody out cold to get to get a stoppage. People forget that a lot. If if he's just pinging Kelbrook and rocking his head back and not, not a lot's coming back, a referee can jump in. You know, that's the kind of yeah, stoppage yeah, that Amir Khan could, could, you know, could get. I mean, literally anything can happen, couldn't it? I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's what's great about this. It's, it's, you don't get many of these where you just don't know, where you haven't got a clue, where when, when you do what I do, you, you, when you commentate on fights, I spend a lot of my time in, in the build up to fights, trying to kind of like cleanse my mind almost and not go in with any kind of preconceived notion of what I think will happen. And it's quite hard because normally there's, there's a strong favorite and no matter how much you think, no, no, no. So a lot of the time I won't watch any build up or, or, or read any opinion on anything. I'll just do my research and just think, no, it's got to be open, clear mind on this. And this is the easiest fight I've ever had for that because I've got no idea. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's uh, it is it is fascinating. It's um, I mean, looking at looking like we were saying at some of the uh, some of the betting markets, Tom. I mean, I know you touched on it at the start. Like, I mean, we can go round the houses, we can go back and forth about people getting dropped in the first round. Can't hard to win points off. Is he shot? Is Brook shot? Where do you kind of see if there is any value here, and if you was going to part with your your money to place a bet on this fight, where would you see the kind of value sitting here and what would be your kind of sensible pick? I've, I've, I started this podcast thinking, you know, I quite like the car decision price. And that was the one where I looked at the odds and thought, maybe that's a little bit big. I think when you get fights of this magnitude, you get the, the all kinds of kind of novelty type prop markets, don't you? You know, both men to get knocked down, can't, uh, you know, Brooke to win in the first round, in the first minute of the round. Take your pick. You know, the, I saw a market earlier, um, both men to get knocked down in the fight to go the distance, 12 to 1. Um, what's a draw? What, what's a draw in this one to start? Well, and, and someone mentioned the draw to me the other day, actually. Um, my, my friend Ben mentioned uh, the draw. He said, you can just see it. Draw is 20, 22 to 1 best price. That's okay. that's pretty yeah, that's 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 fairly normal for a draw, isn't it? Twenty two to one. I got a bit obsessed with draws for a while. Yeah. Um and just kept betting on draws and it just never never happened. <laughs> well twenty two to one is on the on the bigger side, I'd say, for a fight that's this kind of evenly matched on paper. But if you look at it and think, well, if it goes a distance, if there's controversy, if it's close, you just don't know what's gonna happen. It's kind of a, a <laughs> This is a weird thing to say, but I can almost see this fight ending up in kind of having an element of farce. Obviously, you remember what Hey Bellew is, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. This is the kind of fight where I can kind of see something like that happening. Oh, something weird could happen on Saturday. Weird happening. Something weird rushing in and getting someone just. I think tension is so high, emotions are running so. Yeah, late blows, some low blows. Referee gets a bit windy and disqualifies someone. I, I mean. The, the, yeah, this, yeah, it could be a strange one on Saturday, definitely. So I think expect the unexpected is a bit of a cliche, but the, the price that stood out is nearly four to one on the Khan decision. Um, or if you're going the other way, the, that four to one on the Brook early stoppage. But again, I think you can play this any which way you want. I'm going to pin my hat. I've got, I've got to pick something here. I'm going to say Khan decision, um, nearly four to one. 
but it's a, it's going to be a really cautious play because if, if it's not, you're watching that behind your hands, aren't you, for half an hour? It's, it's quite it's quite common though for fights where everybody just says it's going to be blink and you miss it, and the two fighters say it's going to be a war, and then it isn't. And it goes yeah. to points. That does happen right. quite a lot because this is boxing and everybody wants to hype the life out of everything. Um, with, with these two, I just do think that the bell will go and it won't take long before everything just goes out of the window and they'll just start swinging. I, I, just, I do think that'll happen. But in other fights, they, they, Bellew was amazing at this. Like he'd say, oh, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. And when he never had any real intention of doing that, like cleverly, for example, Oval McKenzie's second fight, you know, he, he knew that there wasn't the way to do it. Um, and uh, so he didn't do it that way, but yeah, yeah, it is surprising how often we we just assume that there's no way it's going to go the distance, and then it does. I think the the point about the con uh, stoppage you were talking earlier. I think again, it's it's an outcome you can talk yourself into. And you just think if, he's, if he gets his hands going, if he gets that, those flurries early, and Brooke doesn't respond well, suddenly that comes into play. But at the same time. And I've seen a lot of people actually kind of tip the Khan stoppage on Twitter and stuff. I'm looking at, I don't know, Khan has only stopped since he moved up to Welter, uh, Le Greco and Dib, who's, you know, was a featherweight. Yeah, for Amir to win by a stoppage, we're relying on Cal Brooks' punch resistance to be, to be, uh, to, to be deteriorated to an yeah. alarming degree, aren't we? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. And it's not to be a one, one shot as well. One, one thing I do, and it's the same as what you two guys have touched on there. It's one thing I do notice with Khan when we're looking at kind of the early, the early kind of blowout is there is a trend in his fights where if you follow it closely enough, not every single fight, but most fights in the first round, he throws the same combination and tries to knock the guy out with the same combo. It's the exact same combination that he stopped Dimitri Salita with, which is the kind of, left cross straight right hand and he actually attempted it against Canelo um, and he actually landed it with Canelo and Canelo didn't, just didn't budge um, but he tries it it was similar to how he knocked out um, the Greco and he tries it quite a lot so it'd be interesting to see if he does try the same kind of tactic with Brooke I've seen him try it quite a, quite a few times and that's why I think that potentially like I, I saw the odds are quite high so potentially a value bet might be that Arn does drop Brook in the first round. I'm not saying he's going to stop him in the first round, but there is the possibility that he does kind of come out real fast and Brook's a bit tense and kind of, you know, get a bit flustered by, by that. And there is the possibility of that. On the other side, there is the kind of conscious that I've always found Khan someone who needs to be coached for a fight. Um, he hasn't really got the ring IQ defensively of a kind of Andre Ward or, you know, a Terence Crawford. He's someone who has to actually be generally guided through fights and if you look back through his career a lot of his best performances have come when he's under kind of strict instructions from whether it's Virgil Hunter or Freddie Roach and he kind of sticks to the game plan against you know I think again I think it was Devin Alexander um similar performance against Louis Colazzo where he kind of he was letting his hands go but he was tentative with it he wasn't getting he wasn't jumping in or leaping in too much and he wasn't getting sort of standing in the pocket and getting caught um that's the one thing for me that I kind of think with this fight where he's got this team in Bomac and that, and they kind of got him under strict instructions to follow a game plan. Um, and I think that when he's in that mindset and he knows there's danger there, he will look to follow it and he'll do his best to follow it. That's why I'm more against kind of the, 
the fight being a complete tear up rather than kind of coming out swinging. I'm not saying that, that I mean, that could totally happen 100%. Like Khan sees the red mist as soon as he gets hit. He's done it, you know, a hundred times before, before and the old age that fighters go back to what they know as soon as they get hit and um, it can happen. But I've got a feeling that he'll, he'll box to a plan. And I think their plan, I think I've heard it in the press conference earlier, their plan is basically what I can see is that they were saying Brooks kind of, he's good for four rounds and then he spent and Bomat was like, you're a shot fighter after four rounds. So kind of give a little bit of insight into what they're potentially going to do. Um, for me, that them coming out with that and the way that they've been, like if you watch the kind of, you know, the Sky Sports stuff and the, you know, the gloves are off and things like that, uh, behind the scenes, it looks as if they're going to rely on kind of Brook, you know, coming out quite fast and then they're going to kind of look to the second half of the fight to kind of take over and use their superior kind of thickness and, and that's so that for me kind of I mean I would a bit like Tom was saying put it this way Brooke at 1.6 I would not be confident of backing at 1.6 um, no. not because I don't think he's a you know he's a good fighter he's been a, a tremendous fighter but at, at the stage he's at in his career with the vulnerabilities that he showed against Crawford um, and the the question marks that hang over him at the minute I would I would be going nowhere near a 1.6 shot for him. It might be that that is potentially wrong and he comes out and he is, you know, really good and he's as good as, as always. I don't think he will be. Um, and that for me is probably where I see the value probably sits with Khan because it's too, I, I would be more confident in backing a 2.4 with Khan at that price rather than a 1.6 with Brooke. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like you say, my, uh, my look at it is kind of, pretty much the same as everyone. I think there's nothing would surprise me here. Um, you know, an early knockout either way, a points decision. The only one I kind of don't think will happen is what Tom mentioned at the start. I can't see too much gauge for a Brook decision. Um, again, not out of the question, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with my prediction. I'm going to go with Khan on points is the way I kind of see it, but I don't hold any real conviction to that. Um, and I also think that there might be a bit of value in Khan in a few specials markets too. I've, I wrote a stuff about this earlier in the week, and I think there's potential that he does he does drop Brook early and potentially potentially in the first round. Um, it's a big shout, but I've got I just I've watched so many Amir Khan fights in my time um, that I just see a trend with him the way that he kind of comes out comes out on boxes and. I think that he just cannot help himself um, in, in, when he's kind of live and fresh. I think that's just the way he is. He's an excitable player. Um, and that's where I see it going. I mean, what, I mean, well, Andy, we'll go to you. Tom's given his, uh, his insight. What's your, what's your kind of final prediction, your final thoughts on, on how it'll go down if you had to, if you had to pick a, pick a bet. So I'll, I'll go with, with a Brook stoppage like between seven and nine, but probably more towards the seven end. So if I had to pick an actual round, I would say Brook round seven. But I totally agree when you talk about the 1.6 for Brook. I I don't see there being any real value in that. I, I, I This is a coin toss. It's a 50-50. I think there's so many things that could happen that I don't really see how either one of them is, is favourite. And I only looked at the odds for it for the first time yesterday, actually, and I was surprised when I saw that Brooke was favourite. I thought this would be one of those occasions where I've never priced anything up really, but I just thought if you were the one pricing this one up, there's just not really anything to be gained by looking at what they've done recently and trying to find any real kind of form guide. And if it were me, yeah. I'd probably just make Hamir the favourite because he's had the better career. 
that's that that's where yeah. I probably would have gone with it. So I was surprised when I saw that Kel Brook was was a favourite. But I'll say Brook round seven, but with with no particular confidence. Um, I think the more you two talk about it, the more I'm thinking that maybe Khan can do it on points. I know, I know, but this is this is where we are with it, isn't it? Maybe that is their game plan. Maybe they think he can do that. And if they think he can do it, then it's all down to discipline. Firstly, he's got to be able to do it still. But then it does all come down to discipline because the point you make, Chris, about discipline with him is a really good one because when he's shown it, he's shown himself to be what what he's been, which is elite, you know, world class, world class. When he hasn't, that's when he's and sometimes he'll show it for a Danny Garcia, perfect. Couple of great rounds, boxing beautifully, doing exactly what he needed to do, and they got knocked out. Um, you know, it's you don't know what you're going to get with him. You just don't. And I don't think that Brian McIntyre can be completely sure either because you can say whatever you like about him training Terence Crawford and he's had wins over Amir Khan and Kel Brook and all the rest of it. They've only known each other five minutes. Does he know yeah, how to motivate yeah, yeah. Amir Khan? Does he know how to keep him on the straight and narrow? Yeah, Maybe I he totally does, agree. but it'd be very impressive if he's managed to sort, sort that one out in, in that amount of time. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange kind of one because I look at the um, the way they're kind of approaching it and like one thing that did stand out to me quite quite apparent is obviously I know they're getting very, very well paid for this fight and, you know, you'd be a fool to turn down that kind of money. But for some reason, I see something in Amir Khan a little bit like, I like to call it the Floyd Mayweather effect almost, where when Floyd was boxing, he used to... He used to, not that he would know he was going to win his fights, but he would always look for that slight edge against his opponent. So he would pick a fight, obviously fight, I'm not comparing Floyd Mayweather to Amir Khan, but he would pick a fight knowing that he was going into it with, you know, a lot of the kind of, I suppose, the advantages in his favour, um, whether that was, you know, maybe making Pacquiao wait a couple of years too long before he was, you know, firing through Marguerite and guys like that. Um, whether it was boxing Cotto when he was a couple of years past his best and stuff like that. Not so much in his earlier career, but I get that with this fight, I just get an impression that Khan just whole, I know he's a confident guy, almost too confident sometimes, but I just get this impression that he generally believes a hundred percent that Kell Brook is absolutely shot to pieces and that he's going to just, he isn't even going to have any trouble with it. I mean, whether he generally believes that or not, I don't know, but I get the, I get the impression that he's taken this fight on the basis of himself. Now, at the current moment that they sit in their careers, these two right now, he believes wholeheartedly, without any doubt, that he will be that he will win the fight, and he's fully confident in winning it. Whereas I think about four or five years ago, I don't think he did, um, and I think that's the reason why he probably not. So I wouldn't say necessarily avoided it as such. Well or you could say he avoided it, but I think now he feels like the time is right where he's seen that Crawford fight and he saw um, Brooks' punch resistance and has Crawford even told him that he thinks his punch resistance is completely gone and because he's obviously been training with Crawford. So is that what's giving him the confidence that Crawford is telling him that, you know, you, 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 you'll beat Brook easily, you know, that you, you, you've got this kind of thing. So that's the reason why I kind of side of Amir, obviously, you know, the variables in a fight are totally, totally anything could happen, like Tom said. Um, and nothing ever shocks me in an Amir Khan fight, to be honest. Like, um, I wouldn't, I mean, it's edge of the seat stuff, isn't it? Whether it's him getting knocked out or him knocking someone out. So, yeah, I mean, that's where I kind of sit with it. And I think that 
it'll be a, it'll be an interesting one to see how it uh, see how it all unfolds on Saturday night. I think we do. But everything we're saying there, exactly what you said there, Chris and Andy, before, if you're if you're picking one of two in the outright, you've got Khan 2.4, Brick 1.6. There would be no arguments here. And I know we've done our final pick, so I'm not going to go back on that. But there would be no arguments for me, really, if you saw Khan at 2.1 or 10 to 11, the pair, you know, 1.9, one each way. Because there isn't, I don't think there is much in it. And so I think if you're looking at it from a purely value point of view, in what's really close to a 50-50 fight with so much unknown stuff. Yeah, maybe maybe 2.4 is is where you can kind of eke out that that little bit of value for yourself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was looking at some stuff um, in the week and Khan from a betting perspective in boxing through the years has been an absolute nightmare to bet on because he, um, I think back when uh, Andy mentioned it with the Braders Prescott fight, he was... I think it was like a 1.16 kind of favourite. It's about literally like, you know, we're talking 92, 93% probability uh, to win the fight. I think Danny Garcia, when he boxed him, he was 1.16 to beat Danny Garcia. I think Garcia was around about 8.0, which is... I mean, that's absolutely absurd, isn't it? That, that's, yeah. that's an example. You, you see it in boxing every now and again, don't you? And, and I don't actually bet that much, but, but when I do, it's because you see a two-horse race where you think this is probably 50-50 and you've got one guy who's just according to them, you know, just lame. Yeah. Um, and, and those are the ones I go for because I think I'm not absolutely sure Danny Garcia is going to win this fight, but I always remember Josh Warrington was seven to two against Lee Selby. And I just thought he, he's, he's never been beaten. He's boxing at home. I don't, I don't necessarily think he is going to win 50, 50, but I've got to, I've got to have some of that because, yeah. you know, I feel like such an idiot if I didn't, if I didn't. Yeah, it's a, it's it's um Tom touched on it. It's very um it's it's a bit like we said with the Brook Price. I think it's it'd be very risky business. It'd take a very 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 brave punter to part with a large kind of stake on Brook at one point six. I think um with any real conviction. So that's where I kind of sit with it um from a mere at two point four. I think that I mean it could look it could look the best two point four shot ever seen come Sunday morning or it could be it could not. That's the kind of the intrigue that we have of it. It is a question for you, Chris. What happens if Brooke comes in heavy tomorrow? Brooke comes in at one five two, one five three. I hope he doesn't. Yeah. Does the Brook firstly, does the Brook price go to one point four? Maybe around that. And if so, do you keep back in Carnet? It's a good point because I, I, I think that I think that he might. <laughs> um, it's I suppose it just depends on how much he he wants the money. I suppose, um, but yeah, if he does come in heavy and he weighs in at that kind of price, because I'm I'm convinced that the the kind of catch weight at one four nine two pound above the world weight limit favours Khan. Um, I think that is. I think everyone would probably agree on that. Um, I think that definitely does favour him. Brooke is big at the weight and has to boil down and almost kill himself to make it. I mean, I know he kind of talks and saying that he doesn't, but is all of them years kind of catching up with him where he's trying to make the weight so often and Khan's obviously thought, you know, I need a little bit of an advantage here and made the fight at 149. I know that they did try to make the fight at 147 and Brooke was obviously, you know, kind of rejected that. So Khan's obviously met him at, met him almost in the middle at, you know, two pound above, but yeah, no, Tom, you're right. Literally, I think if if Brooke does come in heavy um, and kind of a couple of pounds over, I'm not actually too sure, um, Andy, you might know, is there any kind of um, 
because I know it's not for a title. So it's, I know that Brooke held the IBF for a long time, and there was a there's kind of a a um, a weight that you're not allowed to come in over over a certain yeah, amount of the weight. Is there a Originally, what, originally, what I heard was that it obviously one four nine on the scales, and then you couldn't be above one six three and a half. I'm okay, not yeah. absolutely sure when they were going to do that way, whether it was the next morning and it was like the IBF, or whether it was nearer to the fight. But I did read a couple of things today suggesting that that's not actually not the case. So that's something yeah. that I'm going to, I'm definitely going to check, check yeah, tomorrow. But the, the the way it is really interesting because what we you know, there are so many things we don't know about about the negotiations, and it could be that Kelbrook's done well in, with, with with his career in terms of financially, um, and with good advice, he's been sensible with his money. He hasn't thrown it all away. If you believe what you read, they're getting three million a piece a piece plus some pay per view action on this one. It could well be that their tactic was let's get them as high as they we're going to. Their tactic could have been we're going to weigh one five three one five four. Let's just get them as high as they can, as high as we can, 149, maybe 150, then agree to some kind of penalty over and above that, and we'll just pay it. Yeah. We don't okay, care. That's right. I think that, that uh, could have been the plan. That could have been the plan from day one, for all we know. Whereas we're all thinking, oh, you know, he's in camp and is he going to make it? And is it going to be too much to cut? What's the, the plan could always have been, let's just get him up from 147 if we can, and then 100 Gs. Um, a pound. This is personal. I don't care about the money. I'll just pay it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what they um, what they do. They do do it. It's, I think, like you said at the start, I think it will take a lot of the gloss off of the fight if that does happen, because it's almost like you know a disadvantage they've met at the contract, and especially from the casual side of fan, you want to kind of see, you know, you want to see a real fight. It's, the build up's been brilliant and you know, back and forth, no one knows who wins. I think it would take a lot of the gloss off, especially if he comes in really heavy. Um, imagine if, imagine he comes in at one, say, say Amir, you know, comes in at like 147 and a yeah, bit, he'll be, which he'll he be might away, because, he'll be away, you know, yeah. he'll, he'll easily make it. Say he comes in basically at, at, at the strict welterweight limit, the real welterweight, welterweight limit. Kelbrook comes in at 154 and flattens him. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to go down well, is it? No, I, I agree. That's that's why I mean I, I didn't actually even think about this before before Tom mentioned it. But the um, I didn't I don't actually know if there is a like a contract it's anything in the contract that literally states that where it's if you do weigh in because it's a hundred grand for each pound. So I don't know if there is anything in the contract that states that because you're going into you know if you do come in at one five five you can't actually weigh in at one six because can, can effectively he can then rehydrate massively up to you know potentially like 170 or something like that so that would take a huge gloss off of it i don't actually know if there is anything in i would imagine there was but i i know i mean it's Carl hard to say it, it, contract before, it, it's so hard to fun. say this, this is a problem when you when you have a situation whereby you aren't saying that you must make this weight or there's no fight because obviously there's no title on the line here and the last thing that that Sky One and, and Boxer One is some kind of fiasco on the scales. And after all the money that they've put behind this and all the promotion, all of a sudden you don't have a fight, you know, that was just never going to happen. And then you're just trusting that somebody's not going to take liberties because the fine is serious enough that they you would think it would be some kind of deterrent, but maybe not. You know, we're, we're, I mean, it's just another, it's yet another aspect to it. I, I, I just hope he comes in at, you know, one four nine, bang on, or one fifty is fine. Like if he comes in at one fifty, then then okay. 
Um, yeah, not the end of the world, but the... Um, but he just wants to win. This is so personal. He just wants to win. It's about nothing else other than winning. And, and I just think he would, he would happily pay two or 300 grand uh, if he thought, I can't do 149. It's going to deplete me that much that I can't win. Or I think it's yeah. going to give me so much smaller a chance of winning. I think, you know, I think he'd do it. I think he'd do it in that case. Yeah, and it is, um, it is Khan that's the one who's, uh, who's put it into the contract, isn't it? So he's obviously weary of, weary of what Brooke probably is going to do. So, um, yeah, no, it's fascinating. And obviously that's uh, some great analysis there on the, on the fight. And like, like you two guys, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet a couple of bets on this fight. Small mistakes, but I'm gonna. Um, I think for me, like obviously, this is a betting boxing betting podcast and this sort of thing. But I, like, it's very difficult to call, so it'd be hard to kind of put your money onto anyone. I wouldn't potentially advise risking it on anyone um, on it because there's so many variables. But such an intriguing fight and so many different aspects that can happen. So obviously, really looking forward to it um, on that front. We'll move on uh, quickly, and um, obviously, there's a lot of, um, of fights coming up over the over the next month or so, um, and we'll kind of look to break down some of these quite briefly. Um, first off, we've got uh, Josh Taylor up against Jack Catterall. Um, Taylor kind of finally makes you know, I suppose, a long-awaited return to the ring as he takes on you know, I think Taylor's, uh, Catterall's his mandatory challenger. Um, all the belts at super lightweight uh, division or light welterweight, whichever kind of one you prefer to call it. Um, Taylor, arguably probably Britain's best fighter at the minute, um, comes in at the comes in at a heavy, heavy favourite um, in the betting at odds of one point zero five two, almost a gimmick. Um, with Jack Carroll coming in at eleven point zero, so obviously a massive outsider in the in the betting. Um, Andy, I go to you first. Like with this fight, is there any way that you see any way that you see an upset occurring here? I mean, I would imagine that ninety nine percent of people are going to pick kind of Josh Taylor to do the business, but Catterall has gone a little bit under the radar as a fighter. He's not many people outside of the hardcore will probably know who he even is, but he is a good fighter. Um, and he's, he's a little bit underwhelming at times. He kind of breezes his way through fights. Do you think there's any way that he's got a couple more gears to go through here and maybe even, maybe even shock or surprise Josh Taylor? I don't, but that's just down to the fact that Josh Taylor is is absolutely outstanding. I would have fancied Catterall to beat Maurice Hooker. He was Hooker's mandatory for for a good while before um, before Ramirez beat him and, and unified. So he's been waiting for a really long time. I thought he would have had a real good chance of beating Hooker. I like Catterall as a fighter. He's got lovely balance. He's got good timing. He's got a nice kind of rhythm and flow about him. He's very composed. There's a lot of things that he does well. He's an all-round good fighter, but Josh Taylor's just superb and I don't see him taking his eye off the ball. Josh Taylor can do it any which way. We've seen that and that's the that's the sign of somebody really special. Yeah, special and yeah. for that reason, I don't really, I, I just can't see him losing to Jack Catterall. Uh, and, and like I say, I just want to be Totally fair to Jack. I think he's a good fighter. And and if 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 Taylor defends once more and then vacates all the belts and moves up, Jack Catterall could win a world title. I think he could, but but not against Josh Taylor, he can't. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I totally totally agree with what you said. Uh, Tom, go to you. I've got a feeling you're gonna probably say similar to what Andy said here. Um, I know you've been a fan of Taylor in the past. Is there any way you feel that? Um, Catterall can upset him and if not is there any kind of value you see looking at maybe some alternative markets maybe round betting or even maybe Taylor to win on points possibly 
Yeah. Um, you took the words out of my mouth there, Chris. I think I don't see any upset. Uh, I think Catterall is a very competent fighter, a, a very, very decent fighter at a certain level. He's better than um, the kind of the one shared opponent they have in Ahara Davis. He's proven that. I just think Taylor's a level above, and I think Catterall could win a world title against a certain level, but it's not going to be a, a, against a pound-for-pound pound type guy like Josh Taylor. And the reason I say that with so much confidence is that I think Catterall could only do it by decision. And I don't think that he can outbox Taylor. Um, Catterall has won all of his main fights, really, I think, by decision. Um, Tyrone Nurse, um, Joe Hughes, Swatchkov recently. You know, he's he's a fighter who outboxes his opponents and, and, and generally does it, as you say, looks quite kind of unflustered a lot of the time while doing it, but it's not going to be enough against a guy with as many dimensions as and, and kind of as kinks as, as Taylor has. I think the one potential kind of angle that you might get if you're looking at a, a bigger price would be for the fight to go the distance. Um, if you look at Taylor, he, the thing with Taylor, he he's in and out so quickly, he punches from so many awkward kind of angles that he generally knocks his opponents down. If you look at Baranchik, if you look at Postel, um, if you look at Ramirez last time, but he doesn't always stop them. And in fact, the only people that he stopped recently since stepping up to World, or let's say the Super Series in what was that four years ago now nearly the only opponents that he's actually stopped have been Konsong who was that kind of terrible IBF mandatory uh, and Ryan uh, Martin who was in the Super Series but was really really out of his depth all of Taylor's other fights have gone the distance Baranchik Posto Pro Grey was the, the guy who um, Taylor didn't knock down um, Ramirez these are all guys who are probably better than Cashel, you'd think, but he he went the, the full distance against all of them. And it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a very, very wide Taylor decision, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Taylor blasted him out in three rounds because that's how good Taylor is. But it wouldn't surprise me if we kind of saw a, a 117, 111, 18, 10 type scorecard for, um, for Taylor. And I think that might be a little bit of value when the prices come out, those they haven't been um, released yet. We're, we're a bit far away for those um, type of markets, but I think you might have a bit of um, a bit more meat on the bone if you would go long rather than go for the obvious kind of tailor one to six. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, exactly, kind of again took the words out of my mouth. Even with a kind of share exact same opinion on that one. Um, moving on. We've got another um, couple of fights left to kind of go over and analyze. First one I want to take a look at is uh, Laywood versus Michael Condon. Um, a lot closer in the odds and almost a mirror of the odds to Amir Khan and Kel Brook, both at different stages of their careers. Um, but this is a, a real kind of fight, I feel. Uh, this is one that has got a lot of divided opinion. Um, Condon coming in actually as the betting favorite, um, which is a strange one considering he is obviously the challenger, but that shows the kind of confidence that people feel how good he is and how, you know, potentially how weak of a champion Laywood is. Um, obviously took the title last time out off of um, China's Kanju. Um, I've seen a few people kind of a little bit sceptical on Michael Conlon. Um, Pinnacle have him in at 1.62. 
Uh, Wood is 2.42. So again, to reiterate that, a similar kind of odds to what Amir Khan and Kel Brook are. Um, I'll go to you, Andy. What's your what's your thoughts on this as a, as I suppose as a matchup and kind of how you see this one unfolding? Because I mean, this is more one that I kind of feel there's going to be more contrast in opinions where certain people will have a different opinion on what's going to happen in this fight compared to someone else. And they've got totally different variables to what's going to go down. So what's your kind of take on this? I like this fight. I like this fight a lot. And these, these two, um, I've had a very different time of it the last four or five years because Wood, I remember speaking to him maybe five, six years ago when he was hoping to get an English title fight. His, his career just drifted completely into the doldrums. He was going absolutely nowhere. He was at the Ingle gym and they just couldn't get anything going for him at all. And he followed his, his, his housemate, Jordan Gill, to Dave Coldwell, basically. Dave started managing him and things took, took off for him from there. But he's had some like relatively recent setbacks. He, he got beat by Jazza Dickens in a golden contract. It was close-ish on the cards, but I thought, I thought Dickens won that quite comfortably. Dickens a good technical fighter, um, able to switch between stances. So there's kind of shades of a, a Conlon-esque approach there, which, which Wood did struggle with. But then he won a British title against against Reese Mould and then got the shot against Kanju. And no one really fancied him at all and pulled out an absolutely fantastic performance to, to win the fight. And Condon, meanwhile, of course, was, was a superstar as an amateur. We all know what happened at Rio, but he won a gold medal the year before at the World Championships. Signed with top rank, you know, debuting at the Garden um, on St. Patrick's Day and all of that kind of thing. I was at his fight in Falls Park. You know, he, he's he's a proper superstar in Northern Ireland and he's been given that kind of treatment ever since he's been professional. I know people haven't been that hot on him during his pro career, but I I think he's really, I think he's a very good fighter and I'm, I fancy him strongly to beat Lee Wood. I, I would back him with, with confidence because technically he's very good I think he's best off at featherweight. He kind of dabbled with with super bantamweight. It looked like he might go down that route, but I think he's probably better off at, at featherweight. As I say, he can he can box orthodox. He can box southpaw. He's been doing this a really really long time. He might not have had that many pro fights, but he had hundreds of amateur fights. I think he'll just know too much for Lee Wood. I think it'll be very hard for Wood to catch him. And I fancy Condon. I don't think he'll necessarily stop him. I think Condon quite wide on points. Lee Wood's got to make a good start. He, he's got to make a good start. If he can catch Conlon early and have some joy, then it could be different. But, but, but that's what has to happen, I think, because he'll find it difficult to win rounds against someone like Conlon, who, as I say, technically is really good, very slippery. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree, actually. And uh, Tom Gans, you, I can see you, uh, see you nodding your head with, uh, with Andy's... Uh, Andy's uh, option and opinion. So I'm, I'm guessing you're going to go with uh, Conlon as your as your pick here. Yeah, look, I think I think Conlon 1.6 is a I think it's a great price. I I would make him 1.3, 1.4. I think 1.6, two. Um, but put it this way, of the two, and this is quite a nice comparison. Kel Brook at 1.6 or Michael Conlon at 1.6. I don't think there's any. Comparison, really? Oh, there really isn't. There really isn't. Um, you know, Conlon at one point six is the type of bet I would be happy going. You know, uh, with a decent stake, um, a decent, obviously responsible stake. Um, but I, no, I think if there's one fight this weekend, or rather one fight in the show that we're we're looking at that you'd fancy to go the distance, I think it's going to be this one. Um, I don't see Conlon stopping Lee Wood. 
But equally, I think Leeward's best chance is is to stop Conan, and I, I don't see that happening. I'm not, no, I thought Wood was great against Kanzu um, for him to kind of stingy Zoo like he did. And Zoo is normally 100 miles an hour and, you know, completely nonstop. He, Wood was fantastic that night, but I, I think it, Andy touched on it. It's not the most popular call, I don't think, but I think Conlon has got a lot more and maybe kind of a level more than we've seen of him so far. And I've, I've kind of been thinking that for a while. And then you see him squeak past um, Baloop and it took a while to get going against Taku. Decent win against uh, TJ Denny, but I, I think there's more to show. And I think he's kind of flattered to deceive a little bit sometimes. I think if he steps it up, he can he can really um, look good against Leeward. Uh, and I think 1.6 is a, is a great bet. I, I, think, I think with Conlon, he's always going to be capable or he's going to be capable of going to a high level, doing enough to beat whoever he's footboxing because he's got good IQ and he can do it a number of ways. And he's very difficult to hit. He's very hard to hit clean. And with the ability to switch and the angles he he can make and, and attack from, it's not necessarily ever going to be the most scintillating thing you've ever seen in your life, a Michael Conlon fight. But if you kind of appreciate the finer points, I really enjoyed this fight against TJ Dehaney. I thought he boxed really well that night. And I know Adam Booth was really pleased with it. Um, but I think it's one of them. I think you put someone in front of him and it's going to need to be a real good fighter for Conor not to just figure out how to, how to win. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So he is a, he is a, um, a very, very good fighter and it'll be interesting to see. I kind of echo your guys, both your guys' thoughts there on that one. Um, quite funny to see what Tom said actually about the comparison between the Brook on side. I totally agree with that as well. Um, and I think you'd be a lot more relaxed watching uh, Michael Conlon at 1.6 than you would be watching Kel Brook at this stage. So yeah, that's... Uh, that's that one. We're going to move on to the last one that we're going to analyse. Um, Kiko Martinez versus Josh Warrington 2. Um, so technically a rematch, although their first fight seems an age ago now. Um, <laughs> interesting one, this. <laughs> so Warrington bidding obviously to become a two-time world champion. Um, strange kind of way that it's been matched up considering that um, Warrington was actually blasted out by Mauricio Lara um, inside, you know, seven, eight rounds. I can't remember what he was in, back in, uh, in the bubble. Um, he then, in the rematch, looked a little bit vulnerable early on before that got stopped on the cut. Um, I was actually there that night and it, it, I, I was kind of thinking that Lara was kind of getting into the river and I got the feeling he was going to win that. Um, Kika Martinez obviously had the devastating knockout against Kid Galahad, which was totally unexpected I mean that was really really against the odds so I mean Martin is a guy who feels like he's been around forever I mean I can't actually believe for the life of me that he's only 35 um, and he but he seems to seems to just never go away um, this is interesting on on the way that it's been priced up because most bookmakers are making Warrington a heavy favourite in this um, and he's coming in at around about 1.2 um, at some at some places, uh, one to five on more conventional odds. This is a little bit like kind of the one for me back in Kell Brook at a certain price. I'm not saying I don't think Warrington will win. If I was, you know, kind of guns to the head, I would probably pick Warrington to win on points. But I would have, I would be going absolutely nowhere near 1.2 Josh Warrington um, to beat Kiko Martinez at this stage, especially after the performance that um, he put in against Kid Galahad. Um, 
Tom, I'll start, I'll start with you, um, obviously talking about the odds and, and whatnot. I think uh, Martinez is coming in at around about, I think he was about four four to one, something like that, um, around about most books, three, four to one. Um, I've got a consensus that whilst a lot of people, a bit like Andy said, they might not, what, how he bets earlier in boxing when he does is that he might not feel that Martinez will definitely win and it's not that he's kind of saying he's definitely going to win, but at that kind of price, would you be tempted to maybe back Martinez over Warrington at one point too? Yeah, I, would. I think seven to two, um, so four point five on on Martinez is a good price. I think the, the the kind of the catch with this is that it's in Leeds, and I think it's if it goes twelve rounds, it would be a huge, huge surprise if Martinez were to get anything better than a, a draw, frankly. Um, but given how Warrington looked against Lara, obviously the first time, second time, I've seen a few people say otherwise, but I felt he was on the way to losing that. Um, it didn't look comfortable. And maybe Lara is just a guy that's not right for him. Um, but it's interesting with Martinez because everyone wrote him off and hindsight is a wonderful thing with, with Zelfa Barrett. Um, everyone was saying that he got robbed in that fight. And yet, when he went into the Galahad fight, everyone was saying, well, this guy's, this guy's shot. And then kind of then took the, the robbery and turned the fact that he lost the robbery into a, a legitimate loss and, and didn't kind of follow it through to say, well, this guy's still got something and he can perform yeah. on, on UK soil. Um, yeah, like I think I cannot touch Warrington at 1.2 here, even in Leeds. Um, a Warrington decision, I think, would be the only way I would play that. Um, but I think just because, you know, they say power is the last thing to go. And, and Martinez, I think, is a good example of that. He's obviously more than just that. But um, I think if I was going to back Martinez, it would probably be by the stoppage. But there's not going to be a lot of difference between the 7-2 the to two on the outright and you might get 4-1 to one on the on the Martinez stoppage. But it's going to be the only way he wins. But I wouldn't rule it out at that price. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally, totally agree. The one point two is uh, is very, very short. Um, but um, Andy, I will go to you um, last off on this one. What's your kind of thoughts on this? I suppose from a, I say first off from an analysis of it, and also obviously hearing their mods. Do you kind of echo what Tom says in terms of like, do you feel that you know you wouldn't really touch that price, or you know, do you feel that Martinez maybe even has a little bit more to offer after seeing that what he done to Kid Galahad? Yeah, I, I like this fight. I really like this fight, and and. When when Galahad against Martinez was made, some people kind of slated it. I thought it was a very legit first defence to take when when you give a voluntary in your first defence, like everybody does. I thought actually, you know, this is a. I didn't think he'd win, um, Martinez. I didn't think he'd win, but I thought this is a proper fight, and I couldn't believe it when people were were kind of cussing Martinez, given what he's given us down the years, and the fact that you know, he did beat Zelfa Barrett. Nobody will ever convince me otherwise. It was, it was, it was clear as far as I could see. He's had COVID, I think, Kiko. Um, hopefully that hasn't really had too much of an effect on him because his confidence will be absolutely sky high. Uh, and Warrington, who I've always been an enormous admirer of, of, of Warrington, the way he's gone about his career and, um, and, and I'm not, I won't be commentating on this fight, so I can I can say that freely. Um, and I was gutted for him when it when when he got knocked out by Lara because the pandemic had probably as big an effect on a career negatively uh, on on Warrington as it did on anyone because at that point he was on the brink of unifications. It was all there for him. He, he signed with Matt Troom, and then all of a sudden it just just all went 
it all went tits up, didn't it? And he, 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 he vacated the title and there was all sorts going on with the sanctioning bodies and, and all the rest of it. And, and that defeat against Lara is the kind of one that could really take something away from you because it was, it was a beating he took there. And his dad, yeah. Sean, and the corner got some criticism for leaving him in as long as they did. I understood why they did it. Maybe they could have pulled him out earlier because it, it did look like he'd been hit and that he'd very much stayed hit. But this was huge in the context of his career, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too critical of them. And when you add all of that into the mix, I, I do think this is a really good fight. I just think the fact that Warrington needs this so badly for his career to to kick on and become a world champion again and and get those big fights that he was just t- touching distance away from. I think because he needs it so badly, I think he will win. I think he'll make sure that he doesn't mix it too much with Martinez and not hit and move necessarily, but stick to a game plan, be disciplined, realizing that, that he just, and this is just all about winning. This is just all about winning because another defeat for him would be, would be very damaging at this point, but, but that's a massive price on Martinez. And, and, and you're right. That, that's exactly what I'm looking for when, when, when I'm looking at odds, because I just think there's no way that Martinez in the two horse race should be, should be four to one. No way. I don't think personally that they will win. Um, and if it does go to the cards and it's close, then it's difficult to see him getting it in Leeds. That's, you know, that's a sad fact of life we have to put up with in, in boxing. But I like the fight. I like the fight when it was made. Actually, we've got some good ones in in, in March. You know, they're suffering a bit in, in February due to the sky schedule's really, really strong. And I, I, I mean, entirely different conversation, but they're still struggling a bit with visibility. I think design yeah. and match room to kind of burst out of the boxing bubble. But, you know, Lee Wood in front of 10,000 at, at Nottingham against Michael Conlon, who will bring plenty. That's going to be great. Um, and, and Warrington in Leeds is always good. Is always good. So, those are, you know, those are two good nights. Yeah, no, yeah, totally echo that. Um, I do, when we said about Josh Warrington, it does make me wonder who actually made that fight with Mauricio Lara from the matchmaking side of things. As a, I, I believe, I, I, as I heard, it was a tick over. So I don't see in Lara fight. I don't think he is anything but a tick over. But uh, the uh, yeah, I think, makes- I think they were. I think they were pretty fuming about it afterwards. Yeah, I think I they agree. were kind of. I think they were casting an eye towards. Matri Mexico and the, and the link up with a certain Canelo Alvarez and, and thinking, yeah. hang on a second, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, he uh, he was. I mean, obviously, we didn't see, get to see too much of him in the rematch um, in that fight. But even seeing one or two rounds from that, you could tell the guy can really, really fight, and he was really up for it. I mean, there's a reason why he's not gone back to fight him, I believe, um, and he's probably been advised to stay away from him. So it'll actually be interesting to see how his career develops because he looks like the type of fighter that might be undervalued in odds continually. Like there's been a few guys like that. Um, but from what I saw from him um, in the brief time when I was watching him uh, was that he can really fight and watching that fight against um, Warrington, obviously in the bubble, that was a, I mean, it, it, it was a baffling one. I mean, I can't remember Tom, you might even be able to remember what the odds were for it, but I think that Lava at the time was, we're talking kind of real, you know, we're talking up in the 30 to one mark, aren't we? Yeah, I, I don't know what Lara was off the top of my head, but Warrington was one to fifty on. Yeah, Give yeah, 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 crazy. But um, it yeah, was hard I mean, to watch as well. It was, it was, it was really like because there was no crowd and you could hear everything, and 
it, it was a brutal watch, a brutal watch yeah. because you could hear those punches land. You could see the effect they're having. He doesn't really have a lot of suspension, Josh, when he gets hit. He doesn't really ride punches. He tends to kind of like yeah. just take them full on. And, yeah, and yeah. you could see that he was in, you could see he was in trouble and it really, that there was no way out, but he's so kind of, brave in the corner right. were hoping that something might happen it was but yeah it was it was it was it was savage to be honest with you yeah it does it does kind of make you wonder as well in terms of the uh with the crowds and having the effect especially looking at kind of like the, the betting odds and stuff we saw so many upsets during the, you know that period that it kind of makes you wonder how much the crowd actually does play a part in in kind of the boxes i mean like warrington is obviously someone who's got a big you know pro leads crowd like pre almost praise on them for that you know that that kind of uh that extra push. So it does make you wonder if he was in that environment for that fight, whether that would have occurred. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one uh, to say the least. Now I'll follow, I'll be following that fight quite closely and also uh, Lara's career for the rest of that. So, um, and hopefully maybe Tom, we might be uh, reporting on him for a few, a uh, few, few fights down the road. So we'll see what he, uh, see what he comes in at. Is. But um, yeah, I mean, that's about it for today, guys. And uh, obviously Tom, as always, thanks for uh, coming on, sharing your insight and, Andy, it's been absolute pleasure uh, having you on and hope our listeners have learned a thing or two from obviously your kind of insight from not only with the fights, but also inside kind of, you know, your, your work that you do, you kind of broadcast journalism with Sky and stuff like that. So it's been uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. And obviously, thanks. Thanks for that, for, uh, for kind of being part of the show. No, thanks for having me. It's, it's it's always good fun. It's always good fun, and um, I'm still none the wiser. I, I'm even more confused <laughs> about Carl Brook now than I was than I was to start with. I'm, I'm now I'm I'm now kind of just like eagerly, hungrily eyeing up a calm points decision. I'm probably going to have about five bets on this fight, all of which are yeah, going to cancel each other out. I think this <laughs> could be a, no could point be a, doing it. It's definitely a small a small stake uh, nibble. Yeah. I think should we say without going uh, without going too big, but. Um, yeah, for listeners that do want to bet on uh, Khan, Khan Brook this weekend, um, all of the odds that we've talked about today with Andy and Tom, uh, they're all available at www.pinnacle.com under the Boxing Betting Odds section. Um, we also have a betting resources page that kind of informs your betting. So if you do want to follow the tips and the insight from there, um, there's some expert analysis that comes up there for all the major big fights. Um, and remember, guys, to always gamble responsibly. 